1: Hello everybody and welcome to F1 Nation with me Tom Clarkson and me Damon Hill. It's great to have you back for what is Damon, our preview of the United States Grand Prix in Austin. Coming up on the show, we're going to be joined by Mercedes Technical Director James Allison to chat all things Merck, including that unfortunate little tap between teammates in Qatar. And what the team has in store technically for the remainder of the season. And we're also going to hear from Bobby Epstein, the Grand Prix race promoter in Austin. But Damon, how are you? As you say, it's been a while since you were last on the show. Yeah, Tom, I... I've been up the Nile. So while you were in Qatar, everyone was in
2: cooking in Qatar. I was cooking on the Nile. I was on a Nile barge trip, a holiday with my wife and uh, some friends of ours. And we went and saw the pyramids and the sphinx and uh, the tombs. And it's either a tomb or a temple, basically. I, I've worked out generally the gist of it. Yeah, we went out the Nile, went, ended up in Aswan, and I swam in the Nile. There are no crocodiles
1: that I'm reassured. They kept telling me. <laughs> in the part of the Nile that we were swimming in. Well, Damon, for a man who I know hates sharks, I'm very surprised to hear you swimming in the Nile with the <laughs> potential risk of a crocodile. I think you got more
2: risk from uh, other things that are in the water, but uh, they assured me it was all right to swim. I just kept my mouth shut, you know. Did you watch the Qatar Grand Prix? I did watch it. Obviously, when I got back, I had to watch it all. I was actually on a plane when it's happened. Now, this is the most amazing thing. I could watch, listen, I couldn't watch, but I was on my BA flight back from Cairo and I had my F1 app and I was listening to the commentary and I only worked out that I could do this when I was, the race was already halfway through. So I was actually working out from halfway through what was going on.
1: Well, we're off to Texas this weekend. Another sprint, two on the bounce. You excited about this one? Yeah, I'm not actually, I'm going to be going. So I'm going to be a uh, a,
2: a interested spectator because I'm going to go in and just have a watch. I like Austin. I think it's a good venue. So I'm I'm excited to go and see the cars and and take it all in. And and of course you get you get two for the price of one, don't you, with the sprint? So that's that's good. You get uh, an extra bit. But the thing that is interesting was the weak point, the Achilles' heel, if you if you can call it that at all, with this Red Bull and Max is when drivers on their flat out pace and it seemed to be evident that you know once their car is particularly good at saving tires over a long stints. so the shorter the race i think the
1: more vulnerable the rebel is well max verstappen travels to austin for his first grand prix weekend as a triple world champion and now that he's sealed his third title in a row we thought we'd take the opportunity to rank some of his standout moments from 2023 so far I asked Max a few of these questions after he became world champion uh, on the Saturday of Qatar. So, Damon and I are going to discuss our thoughts and then we'll hear what Max has to say on each of the following topics. Okay, Damon, it's not really a quiz, but when you look back at the 14 races that Max has won this year, what would you say, first of all, has been his best win?
2: Well, I think uh, just putting it into context, uh, Tom, I think you have to say that. This season, it didn't start off very well, did it? I mean, you know, it, it seems impossible to believe it. But but back at the beginning, it looked very much like that he had a bit of a fight in his hands. He didn't he wasn't happy with the car and and Checo was was scoring some wins and, and it was all close. You know, he's had to turn that around and he had some changes made to the car. So then there was Monza, I think, where he had to bag that race, and then he'd got the most number of wins at consecutive wins and so forth. All these and also for the for for Red Bull as well, he's got the responsibility of of securing their consecutive records and so forth. So in a way, it became a burden. His success became a burden, and that's why I think some of his latter races, where he had to nail it and do a perfect performance to get those records in the bag, were more impressive because there's so much more to lose. And, and after Singapore, it looked oh my god, what happened? You know, Singapore there was that drama. Suddenly the doubt was there. What? on earth has happened to Red Bull in Singapore. And then they went to Suzuka from his first lap. He completely put down a marker and basically said to everyone, you're not coming past. This is it. This is my pace. Beat it if you can. And I thought that was a stunning weekend for him. So Suzuka is your choice for his best win. Yeah, I think that and Zanvoort because also the similar thing applies to Zanvoort, which was, you know, and his lap in Zanvoort was amazing. I mean, with inch perfect, and as it was in Suzuka, so it's quite difficult to to single out uh, qualifying from a race, you know, because it, it follows through, it seems to me. It seems to follow through wherever he is.
1: He's had some great races from back in the order due to, you know, um, grid penalties. I think of Saudi Arabia, he carved his way through to second. But Miami 10th to 1st would be my standout race win for him this year. It came on the back of being beaten by his teammate in Baku. He said he made some changes during that race in Azerbaijan where he made a breakthrough in terms of tyre performance, tyre deg. And the way he just dominated, dominated that race in Miami was just a a telltale sign of what we had to come. And God, he was good. Wow. So that would be my choice. Damon, let's
3: find out then
1: what Max thinks is his best win so far.
3: I think my win in in Miami, I, I really enjoyed Spa, Sandford, but also Suzuka, like winning the, the Constructors, for example, with the team there, I think was fantastic. It's difficult to really pick one, to be honest.
1: Didn't we do well? We mentioned most of those. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, I hadn't heard <laughs> that. <laughs> right, Damon, next category. Best qualifying session for Max this year. He's had 10 polls. What's your choice? I think I still think <sighs> you're scratching your head. Well, yeah, you're really telling everyone about I'm scratching my
2: head that I have to do that to think. That's how my <laughs> brain works. I, I'm sticking to what I said before, because I think I already said it. I think that, you know, his his Zanvoort pole was was fantastic as well. Um, that track is very narrow. It's extremely fast. You know, you have to be inch perfect to get it right. And uh, if I'm or totally honest as well, Tom, um, in my dotage, um, I'm finding it difficult to remember all the way back to the start of the season.
1: Well, Canada was a good one. He was 1.3 seconds faster than anybody else around the circuit, Jules Villeneuve. What about Suzuka, Damon? He was six-tenths faster than Oscar Piastri, 11 11 kph faster than anybody else through the S's. Yeah, um, stunning.
2: He measured it well because the the way to use the tyre then was not to cook it in the first part of the lap. So he actually held back a little bit in the first part of the lap and then nailed it in the last uh, two sectors, last sector, and um, so I d- I do think again, Suzuka, it's designed by the same person who designed Sandborg, um, Mr. holtz but it's similar circuit and it's very tricky. You have to match up all the combinations of corners, and he nailed that one completely. And it was it was the motivation there as well. It was the clear inner determination to reassert himself, and and he did it beautifully
1: there. All right, well, here's Max on qualifying.
3: Yeah, I've had a a few. I mean, okay, it maybe didn't count, but the one on Spa, I enjoyed those kind of conditions where you really have to pull it out of the bag. But yeah, Suzuka, the car was on rails. It was unbelievable to drive. And, you know, while driving, I was smiling. That's quite rare in a qualifying lap, so.
1: Actually, that Spa pole was a good one. He was eight tenths faster than Leclerc, but then got a grid penalty uh, due to a gearbox issue. So he's actually made a few references to that. Uh, that Spa lap over the course of the season, since the race saying um, how good that lap was. He just loves the classic old school circuits, doesn't he? Whether it's Suzuka, whether it's Spa, whether it's Silverstone, even Zandvoort, I think we can put in that category. But final one, which race do you think Max has felt the most pressure this season?
2: Oh, I think it was the races where the statistics were on the line, you know, the long run, the longest run of wins or, being at the front was a factor. And the constructors' championship for Red Bull, not that he ever, I wouldn't think, thought for a moment that he was going to screw it up. But I mean, it's one of those things you don't want to have to have the pressure of. You know, it's much nicer to go out there and race without any any of those issues. So the latter race is the monsters, at home grand prix victory. You know, imagine that you go to Zamvoort, you've got the whole Dutch nation rooting for you. You know you've got to get it right and just Get that race done and and thank you know thank your lucky stars that um, you've delivered the perfect result for your home fans.
1: Once whether the championship needed to be sealed, things like that. Yeah, really good points. From a performance point of view, there was Hungary. Do you remember Lewis Hamilton started from pole? Max was alongside him on the front row, and I'm sure Max was thinking, "I need to keep the momentum going as, as we head towards the summer break." and boy did he do that he won the race by what 30 odd seconds from lando norris so that was a, a wasn't a pressure race but it was a i i need to reassert myself kind of race and I mean, every time he's been asked a question this year, he has delivered. That's the message, isn't it? But here's Max on his most pressured race.
3: In Zandvoort, you know, when you're driving on slicks and it's raining and I enjoy driving in the wet, but I also know that I'm leading the championship. And if I go off and I'm stuck, you know, you lose a lot of points. So naturally you're always driving a little bit under the limit, but that can be in a way dangerous as well. So probably when I was out there on slicks, yeah, you, you feel a bit pressured. You know, sometimes there are people behind you that are a bit faster because they have nothing to lose. So it's a very different mindset as well that that you're in when you are fighting for a championship.
1: What do you think? It was wet. Zandvoort was wet. That's the other point, isn't it? It's the pressure of performing at home. There's lots of jeopardy there,
2: Tom. Um, And as I was saying, you know, it's this business of, I've only won a mere one world championship, but I can tell you the threshold when you're in the car before you're world champion you know that when you get out of that car, you're either going to be world champion or not. Also in Max's case, you're either going to have won a third world title or you haven't, or you're going to win your home Grand Prix or something else is going to happen. So these are things that you know that so much can go wrong. You know, there's stuff that's out of your control. So you need those things to go right. You need, you know, the gods to smile on you uh, and also you need to do your job. So you've got to look at yourself in the mirror the next day and say, I did the best I could. And those are pressures, you know? relentless pressures. Michael Schumacher, when he equaled Fangio's title, five world titles, you know, that was a record that threshold that no one had equaled. And he was in tears. He was wrecked. You know, he you know, he it was like it should have been an easy season for him, but it wasn't. It's the
1: pressure of these things is huge. Where do you put Max in the list of great Formula One drivers now. What is it? He? He's he's on forty nine wins, three world championships. He's got Alain Prost just ahead of him on fifty one wins. You've got Seb Vettel on fifty three. He could pass both of those guys before the end of the year. Yeah, he's kind of crept
2: up on us a little bit because for a long time he was playing second fiddle to Mercedes, wasn't he? In Lewis, so he's started so young, and then suddenly it's all all come at once in this last three years. It's just it's just been a, a blevy of results and dominance and so you know you look you think about seb he had a run of success it can come to an end and then what happens so then you ask yourself well what how do you define greatness you know where does the greatness what is the definition and i think there is there's more to it to be one of the great champions you can be a three times world champion i mean jack brabham sir jack brabham was a three times world Champion, and he, you know, he's not talked of as a great, but he should be. I mean, he won in his own car; that's never been done by anyone. Damon, how do you define greatness in the context of Formula One? Then I think it's a whole career thing. It's it's also to do with who you are and what sort of you know. Ayrton won three, and he's regarded as a great in a way that, let's say, some of the other three times championship winners are are not. You know, so there's an aspect of of their personality which also goes into it. Three titles makes you one of the greats of Formula One. Definitely, that's 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 without question. Yeah, all time greats. They're different, and we can't really judge a man. I think there's some famous Roman uh, philosopher who or emperor who said you can't judge or was he was he Greek? I don't know. Um, you know, but you can't judge a person until it's over. You can't really know what they're like until they've retired, and maybe even after they've retired. You know, because someone like Fangio. Or, or even Sterling Ross, who never won a championship, was regarded as a great because of who he was after he raced, you know, who he was when he finished racing. I mean, Nicky Lauda went on to build two airlines. You know, these people are extraordinary beyond what they do in, in the sport.
0: This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for.
1: So both the drivers and the constructors championships are confirmed for Max Verstappen and Red Bull in 2023. But there are still plenty of exciting battles throughout the rest of the grid, which are likely to go down to the final weekend of the season. Lewis Hamilton's hunt for Sergio Perez in P2 was dented by his first corner collision with George Russell in Qatar leading to his first DNF of the season and his first Grand Prix with no points he's now 30 behind Perez with 5 races to go we're joined now by Mercedes technical director James Allison James thank you for your time how are you i'm good thank you i would just point out that on that weekend
4: where where Lewis's points challenge of Perez was dented he still outscored Sergio uh, by virtue of the sprint race. So I guess that puts in context the difficulty of Sergio's weekend also.
1: James, how was the incident dealt with after the race, the one between Lewis and george And, and how did the team bounce back from that disappointment? I mean, everything got a huge amount more simple as soon as Lewis had,
4: had watched the video because he immediately put his hands up and just said, that was my fault, I'm, I'm very sorry. And uh, once someone just acknowledges a mistake and does so fulsomely, you can't really bang on about it after that because that is that is the problem solved at that point. It's a difficult job starting cleanly and uh, mistakes can happen. Thankfully, they happen very, very seldom with this pair in that sort of way. Was there a suggestion that George maybe should have bracked out when he knew that
2: um, Lewis was on the softer tie and that's his strategy needed him to be ahead, really? I thought I heard Andrew Shovlin mentioning that that was discussed as the as the strategy and the understanding it's just one of those things it didn't quite come off in the way you wanted it to
4: i think both drivers understood that uh, they were on different tires understood that lewis was likely to be more sparkly in the in the opening laps of the race um and uh, and i think george should acknowledge that neither of them should lose time if uh, if that were the case but both were also very keen to emphasize the fact that they shouldn't shouldn't have a coming together now I don't think that was discussed in a specific context of turn one lap one but just generally the opening laps would be where where the soft would be at its best and so no point fighting when the strategies would bring that all back together later in the race obviously slightly annoying for you
2: because the pace was fantastic in Qatar wasn't it an actual fact the discussion has been what could have been achieved if George had not been demoted after the collision and and lewis was in the fun, in the hunt as well i mean tactically could you have won that race
4: i doubt it i think but i think it would have been a very comfy two three slightly annoyingly there have been a number of races where we've had sensible pace and we've we've not always capitalized on them so i guess that's the challenge for the remainder of the year to make sure that we bring home what the car is capable of and uh and just have a nice clean run into the end of the year with a car that ought to be good enough to get the job done
1: I'd love to know what you think of George, particularly since the summer break, because he actually has told us that he has made improvements, you know, since Zanvor. He sort of came back renewed and invigorated after the summer break. Have you noticed anything different in him? Well, definitely a lot more
4: confident and it's in fact it's a word he uses uh, relatively frequently in debriefs and uh, and a thing that matters a lot to him having having the weekend get off on a good footing feeling the car and then being confident enough to to push it and take it where it needs to go if you were to pin him down he'd probably acknowledge that for a little splurge of races in the mid part of the year or his side of the garage uh, chose a path that It didn't really reward his style they they went a little bit stiffer with their car compared with where they'd started the year and lower um seeking a bit more aero in exchange for some mechanical grip but that that definitely didn't reward him and um and he's sort of gone back the way he was doing better at the start of the year and with that his confidence returned and and his form alongside it that that sort of touches james on the on the issue at hand which is that the
2: aerodynamics on this car have been problematic, and you've you've come back in after Mike Elliott, the whole shuffle around at the start of the season, and you've been able to get in there and and get close to solving and helping the engineers you have solve the problem, and you've got a new floor coming for Austin. These cars seem to be on a knife edge aerodynamically. I mean, even uh, Max Verstappen in Singapore was not on the pace. You know, it can happen even to the car that's got a dominant performance but you feel like you've got some traction now and you're being able to go in a direction you can trust for seasons coming up and the rest of this season
4: i'm pretty hopeful well we're pretty hopeful that we've got a good handle on what's been ailing us um and and therefore we're pretty confident that we know which direction to head in for the following season for next year that leaves an open question though, let's say we're dead right and we know exactly where we're heading, can we actually walk that path fast enough to overhaul a pretty dominant Red Bull and uh, and pop our noses in front? That's, that's our challenge, more more so than being confident of where we're headed. I think, I think we're headed in the right place, but the challenge, and that's what makes this part of the year so breathlessly brilliant, is can we not just walk along that path, but fair sprint it
1: for the next several months? How revealing is this new floor in austin is it is it all about performance at the circuit of the Americas, or is it all about where you're going with the car next year?
4: neither of those things it It should be good at any circuit for the remainder of the year um, it's not transformative should be about a tenth of a second it's in the direction we think is decent both for producing downforce in the right place and also for being hopefully resistant to the bounciness that all these cars nibble at as soon as you start to try and get much downforce from them.
2: James, you, you use some very interesting language. I, I mean, some of the things that you've said are things like, goodness and bounciness and and uh, breathlessly brilliant was it and and i've i've i've, I've started to count the number of times you used the word exciting in june you were talking about exciting it's like christmas coming and you're talking about christmas already so you 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 love this job don't you, you love the competition and that's why you're in that position is it as a leader of the engineers is that part of your job is it to gee them up
4: I do well first of all I do like it and if I if I sound a bit <laughs> breathless from time to time and 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 excited it's because it is exciting I mean, not many people get to do a job where your strengths and weaknesses are paraded for all to see and where you can be justifiably criticized if it doesn't go well and and as a group, rightfully lauded if it does it you know that is i mean it's it's quite a binary thing but it is it's nevertheless massively stimulating and um and when there are so many people in a team who are all seeking the sort of sugar rush of the proof that we've done a decent job together that the sort of bundling along with all those all that enthusiasm in the factory to get ourselves back on the front foot it is a very very invigorating thing and uh it gathers pace through the year but right back in June when you may have seen me start to first be smiley and enthusiastic about it that's just the sort of you know me enjoying the fact that I'm back in the hunt and I and I have always enjoyed sort of perma wrangle that is the fight of an F1 challenge you know the engineering is one thing but the engineering is quite cerebral and and thoughtful but the emotional part which is just the fighting is very very exciting and enjoyable for
1: me can we talk now about lewis he made the point after japan that i know what the problem is he told us it's just getting the guys to make the changes i try to argue my point but it is not my job to design the car now when lewis hamilton comes out with words like that help or a hindrance for you guys (laughs) Well, neither really. Uh, I mean, it's both. Both is probably the right thing to
4: say. I think that drivers sometimes conflate identifying a problem with knowing what the solution is. Where it's a massive help is the accurate description of what is difficult about extracting lap time from the car, if they can say, here it is letting me down because the front axle is too weak, here it's letting me down because the rear axle is too weak, here it just feels bizarre and I don't trust it, that's ever so helpful because you can have a million pressure sensors on the car, loads of load cells, accelerometers up the yin-yang, but ultimately those are a little bit sort of stunted in their ability to tell you truly what the car is doing and the driver is, is a much better sensor. So if a driver says the car's lacking rear downforce, bang, I've solved it. Go to the rear downforce shop, get me some rear downforce. <laughs> then, you know, that's the point where it becomes slightly less helpful. But at that that point you would just have to accept the car is lacking in a certain thing and uh, and it's our job, as Lewis rightly points out, he's not he doesn't design the car. It's our job to respond uh with the solutions that bring that. But I think that he could rightfully say that both he and George have been saying uh, a particular consistent thing about the car since the first laps of uh, the 2022 cousin of this one. And uh, and the 2023 version inherited that same behavior. And we have been slow to react, slow to fix.
2: It is a really fascinating aspect to this sport, isn't it? Because you're bringing together the subjective of a driver who has got all his years of experience of sensations, but you can't read that in a a computer. You're looking at data, and, and it does often happen, doesn't it, that the driver is saying something which you can't detect, and it's no good if you can't see it. The driver can feel it. There's something going on, and your problem is, is he leading you down the wrong path, or is it just that he's got limitations of his own? You know, so this is the fascinating for me. This is the bit that makes it really interesting. It's a tool, a car. And at the end of the day, it's a tool. And if a guy can't use it, then it's a useless tool. So your job is, is I'm telling you your job now, James, your job is to make a, the tool. All <laughs> these
4: drivers are the same, James. <laughs>
2: they've got to make a tool that the driver, that person can use. There's no good giving them a hammer that hasn't got a handle.
4: Yeah, well, you're 100% right. And one of the enduringly fun things about, the sport and i think one of the things that people enjoy it as spectators is that it is this meld of a, a sort of vast technological effort that goes on in in the factories and then is brought out to the garages at the tracks but ultimately it's a warm piece of flesh and blood that has to to make it work and the the union of those two very very different things is what makes the sport so richly fascinating in our case we're dead lucky that uh, we've got Two drivers who are saying in slightly different vocabulary pretty much the same thing. That, I think, answers the question about are they leading us down the guard? You know, is one driver pulling you in an unfruitful direction? Well, if they're both saying it, I mean, I mean to, to be honest, if if just Lewis were, he's experienced enough to know. But also with George saying the same things, that is reassuring that the problem is is significant and needs needs attacking.
1: Let's throw it forward to this weekend in Austin then. You've already said that you thought Qatar could have been a comfortable 2 3 for Mercedes. So you think you've got this challenge from McLaren under control? I mean, as we go to Circuit of the Americas, who do you think is going to have the faster car, you or McLaren? I gave the
4: 2-3 comfortable 2-3 in the context of uh, one McLaren having helpfully removed himself to 10th place on the grid, and the other one uh, starting behind us also. I think we were pretty much on their pace, not quicker than them, not slower than them, but ahead of them in Qatar. But they would have, in ordin- ordinary circumstances, they would have out us had they not had their track limits um, debacle with one car. So... in the circumstances of Qatar. If we did Qatar over and over and over again, we probably would have been 3-5 or something like that because I think we would have been interleaved with the McLarens. It's close with them. And uh, at a suzuki type track, they've got the edge on us. Um, At a slower type track, maybe we have some things they don't. But I'm not sure what they've got left. Uh, to bring to their car hopefully the floor that we're going to pop on the car in the next race in Austin could bring us up on on level terms uh in any of the races that are to come Tom we're really privileged to have uh, James here you know you know why don't
2: you there have been there have been two there's two guys in F1 who have been in recent years dominant in terms of producing these blisteringly good cars the other one we know is the design of the red bull but James has won 11 Constructors titles or been deeply involved with producing that. And Adrian's just won his 12th. So they're actually very close if you start to add up the tally that we use in Formula 1. And I, I remember when I was with the BRDC, I had a phone call. I used to speak to a guy called Robin Hurd, who used to phone up for goodness knows what reason, but he used to tell me about these two. He knew them when they were young lads. And he said, there's, there's two guys in F1 who are complete geniuses. One of them is Adrian, New, and the other one is James Anderson. James, you you are very modest, very quiet. You're in the background, but your your record has been astonishing in this board, and you're not done yet. I presume.
4: I have to say, I just find that whole line of argument so deeply uncomfortable. As to, to, <laughs> to Tom knows this because he you and know, I have spoken about it before. First of all. A person doesn't do a car, a team does a car. It's you know, there's thirteen hundred people here and everyone has to play their part. Yeah, I got a part to play, but it is only a part. The second thing is, and this is really very, very important distinction, I think all of Adrian's championships, he was technical director for them. And uh and he could perhaps uh if he were the type of person who wished to lay claim to stuff, he might have a, a more valid claim than me, who who was merely in the teams that had those championships. Okay. Latterly in my career, I've been lucky enough to be the technical director seat in a team that had deservedly bought itself to brilliance long before I arrived. If someone is in a team and that team wins a world championship, that person is a lucky, lucky person in whatever shoes they're filling in the team. That I've been lucky enough to be in a range of teams, Benetton, Ferrari, and Renault, and now Mercedes, where I've been just brilliantly fortunate to be alongside a group that is performing well enough to be world champions, you know, that's made me have the most deeply fortunate career. I'm glad that I've played my part in them, but there's a sort of counting of championships and attributing them to individuals is completely ludicrous and definitely not how any right-thinking person should think about the challenge of the sport. I would I would say very differently for a driver, by the way. A driver has to win the thing, but a, an engineer in a team or any team member, they're part of the team, and it's a, it's a team thing, and that's actually what makes it fun. If it were an individual thing, it would be greatly, greatly devalued.
1: Brilliant answer. James, thank you very much for your time. It's been great to chat. Good luck this weekend in Austin with the new floor. Hope it brings that performance. It's a pleasure. Talk to you soon. Bye.
2: Well, obviously, our listeners couldn't see James's face when you said we're off to the Austin for the next race. He had a massive grin on his face because, you know, he loves his job, he loves racing. He probably thinks he's got a little bit of a gain there that they've worked on as a team. Made that very clear, didn't he? That he was a team player and he's not going to take all the credit. Those sort of people are. They're very, very key. If they're not the most important person, then they are very key in a team because engineers need leaders. They need guidance. They need they need encouragement because they're, otherwise they're going to be frightened of making the wrong move and all that stuff. And someone like James can go in and go, give it a go. Let's do it. Let's, you know, he's a motivator. He's a very inspiring speaker, I think.
1: I completely agree. And I think you say that engineers need leaders and So many engineers aren't leaders. So when you find a good leader who is an engineer, they are worth their weight in gold. And he is incredibly modest, but that is one of the reasons he's such a good leader. I could imagine him going into a meeting about the direction of a particular part on the car, and he would definitely be the last person to speak. You know, you you read all these books about what makes a good leader. You know, and the people who come in and say, "Well, this is what is this is what I think." What do you think? No, James would do it the other way around. He'd say, "Right, tell me what you think," and then he'd make a calculated call at the end of the meeting about what he thinks is the right way to go.
2: Well, this this was the change that they brought in at the start of the season, and Mike Elliott was in the in the position, and he he perhaps that's the aspect of of his um, personality that was not what was needed for the team, and so they've have readjusted it and uh, and put James back in there where he can. Where he can give the confidence and you know this force of nature and his fantastic way with words, you know is is that makes all the difference with getting the engineers to see the the vision. I and mean, they've done that, they've made that change. So we're we're very keen to see where whether Mercedes can come back from the long night of uh, of the soul that they've been through in the last two years, you know, um, they're looking better and they were quite well, very competitive really in Qatar. And uh, we got a big one coming up. Um, he was saying that maybe not a circuit that suits them that much at Cota, but, um, you know, I wouldn't discount them being, you know, they want to be the next best team anyway, if they can't beat Red Bull, for sure.
1: And then even if they have found the right path with next year's car, he makes the point, can we still close the gap enough? It just depends how much... Of a, of a jump Red Bull make over the winter, but that is what makes this sport so fascinating. And we have to wait until February to find out the pecking order for 2024.
3: Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu/visit.
1: Now, what a weekend McLaren had in Qatar as Oscar Piastri took his first ever Formula One victory by winning the F1 sprint on Saturday. The team secured their biggest points all of the season as well with double podiums in both the sprint and the Grand Prix. Before that sensational performance by Piastri, I spoke to team principal Andrea Stella for this week's F1 Beyond the Grid and he said this about Oscar. What impressed us is his awareness is awareness of what the opportunities are even before he looks at an overlay or looks at any telemetry he kind of has this uh, capacity to self-recognize where uh, there's more to come from either himself or from the car and this is uh, not so obvious I know drivers that can be fast but they kind of definitely need external support as to see what is possible Either from themselves or from the car, he's definitely a quick learner. He has a a large capability from a self-awareness point of view, which for me is a definition of talent. You can hear the full conversation with Andrea from Wednesday, but Damon McLaren, tell me about their performance in Qatar and just—I feel there's momentum building there now. What do you think? Well, I think it's already built, isn't it? I mean, it's not—it's not momentum.
2: They've actually gone over the hump. With the start of the season, they'd had their reassessment. James Key, the guy who was uh, originally there designing the stuff, it seems to me that, as I understand it, they made a decision to go in a direction and then they changed their mind and they wanted to bring it forward. And they, it's taken them all this year to get these new changes implemented. And they definitely have found a direction and they've been going in that direction and, and improving ever so fast since that decision to rejig themselves and it's been a tremendous success story i mean they are right up there so yeah as far as turning around a team goes this is a fantastic success story um so yeah I i don't think it is a case of them getting momentum i think they've already got the momentum they just need the last little bit now which is to get up the front
1: they've made some bold calls haven't they and they've been rewarded for that whether that was you know parting ways with james key whether it was agreeing that they needed to change the design direction of the car all of the calls they've made they've been rewarded on and then let's not forget they have David Sanchez joining the team at the start of next year they got Rob Marshall coming from uh, Red Bull Racing starting next year as well and so yes Damon you may well be right the momentum is already there but it's only going to snowball and build from here and even the detail stuff like pit stops they set the fastest ever pit stop with these heavier tires in Le One, 1. 1.8 seconds blink and you miss it quite literally see that that tells you something
2: they are looking at every aspect of their their work that they do and somebody's overlooking the whole thing and and looking at them as a race team as well as a team that designs racing cars and and it's very easy to fall into the trap of, i used to say that williams was a technical team that went racing because their racing quite often let them down, the strategy and stuff. You know, it was at sometimes it was a bit shambolic. And we got outwitted by Benetton and stuff like that because they are much better at strategy. You can't have one thing and then not look at the other thing. So there's two there's two very distinct things that go on in, in our sport. There is the on-track performance, you know, at when you turn up in the garage and the mechanics and the pit stops and all the rest of the strategy. And then there's the tools of the trade, which is – what James's team does at Mercedes and um, Andrea Stella does. At, well, I think that's the point is, that is Andrea Stella actually taking an overarching look at the whole thing and saying, like, we need to fix all of these bits. You don't get the fastest pit stop of all time in in recent memory, I think. Is it not all time, is it? It's just for these all large time. wheels, isn't it? It's all it's time. It's all time. An all-time pit stop of 1.8. <laughs> I mean, you don't get that when people are not, galvanized by someone that's an f- absolutely phenomenal measure of the whole team culture it's been for a long time um mclaren have been in they were regarded as being the perfect team in every respect and then they lost their way and then zach brown's come in and i think he has instigated the changes that you need in order to stop the rot which is what's ha- what it had it had it had dead wood it had rot and they've turned the ship around that is a really hard thing to do it's not as easy as it might sound
1: Yep, zach brown has certainly played his part but just back to that beyond the grid that i've done with Andreas stella i felt i had an hour-long lesson from him in how to go motor racing everything he said It was just like, ah, okay, okay, I understand that. Remember that he was at Ferrari when Schumacher was winning everything. And I think a lot of what he learned back then from Michael, from Jean Todd, from Ross Brawn and all those people, he's now applying as the team principal of McLaren. But anyway, that's out on Wednesday. Let's talk more about this weekend's US Grand Prix. Formula One first started racing at Austin back in 2012 and since then the Circuit of the Americas has hosted 10 races. Lewis Hamilton has taken victory five times while Max Verstappen has won the last two events. I caught up with the race promoter Bobby Epstein to see just how excited Texas is to have
0: F1 back in town. Oh this is what you wait for all year so some of the folks at on the team that have never done enough one race before, combined with people who have been here from the very beginning and have 12 years at CODA. And it's a great mix because you see the excitement of the new and it really refreshes and builds and uh, energizes those of us who have been doing it for a long time and remind us of just how exciting it is for people who it's their first time at CODA.
1: And the event has just got stronger and stronger, particularly in the last few years. What can we expect this year?
0: Well, I think we just try and build on what we see that works. And so you continue to see us just get better at what we do. At least that's that's certainly the goal. You know, we're, we're responsible for everything but the racing. So as excited as we are about the race, our eyes are, and attention is elsewhere. It's on the fans. And how do you make it a great event for them and how do you get it to where they want to come back and I think we've we've learned from the fans and hearing from them as to what's important to them and what they enjoy and also what they find in terms of value for their ticket and that's all part of our focus is just full entertainment 35 hours of programming opening the gates early in the morning and closing them after a concert at night and a lot of people don't realize that everything is included with their ticket including this year for example the queen concert of the killers and music while it's not it's not what powers the cars. It, it helps power our events and and just give people really value for the money and entertainment and reason to bring more than just their the race fan, but give the race fan a reason to bring a family member or a friend and let everybody have a great day.
1: Bobby, let's talk bigger picture now. In the last few years, have you noticed a change in the country's appetite for Formula One?
0: Yeah, we've noticed a change in the conversation to where you're not the only guy in the room maybe that follows it you know, you call it water cooler talk. And when you, you know, you're finding someone for a casual conversation at the office and all of a sudden they're talking to you about things that you followed for a long time about their favorite driver, about the personality of it, or the technology behind the cars. And I think Austin, we're a very tech savvy town. And I don't think we're the only one in the U S like that. And what we found is people are discovering what's behind what really goes into this racing. And I think they're connecting with that as well as the personalities that they found through drive to survive. So yes, there's a change in the conversation. There's just a greater awareness. And what's your take on Cota
1: sharing Formula One now with both the Miami Grand Prix and Vegas?
0: Well, there's a certainly competition. Is said to be good. So that just challenges us to do a better job and deliver a great product. We certainly got each race is unique in their personality or each event, I should say, as we really look at this as an event. And while the marquee and the lights of Vegas are something that we don't have. We think the the fact that we have campgrounds and hills, there's other things to our, our advantage. And we'll lean heavily on those. And we'll also try and give the best value to the attendee. I mean, to the fans, we realize everyone can't afford a high-dollar ticket. And while we have some high-dollar seats and some very VIP experiences, one of the things we pride ourselves on is being able to see lots of turns and use the hills. And if you buy a GA ticket for a couple hundred dollars on race day, uh, you'll still get to see a lot and experience a lot, including all the off-track programming we we're able to do. And if anyone's been here, I hope that they'll agree that the ability to walk around the circuit and find all the villages, the theme villages we have is really unique and fun and gives you more than just the the best racing.
1: Austin's a busy city. Anyone who's been there can vouch for that, but You have lots of events going on throughout the year. What does the F1 race bring to the city?
0: While we have several large events throughout the year, there's nothing bigger or more important to Austin and to Central Texas and our region than Formula One coming to the city. And I think that that's seen in the locals' response and just how much Austin's embraced Formula One. And and we have a, a unique thing in that really most of our Uh, Our our largest concentration of hotels are all in one little area, one five square block area. And the fact that when the event does come and when the teams come and the fans and the drivers, they are all staying in such a little nucleus that they get to pass each other. And that, that whole vibe and the whole feeling of this is F1 and this is the Grand Prix is in town. It just overruns everything else.
1: Well, Bobby, we're all very excited. You've got a new three-time world champion in Max Verstappen coming racing with you as well. Before we go, you should perhaps just tell us, let's look ahead. Um, When do tickets go on sale for next
0: year? In fact, I think you'll be the first to know this. We've never launched ticket sales at the race before, but we're going to run a, a special deal this year. So stay tuned for that because it will be a phenomenal limited number of tickets, but we want to prove our value to the fans, and we'll be on sale soon.
1: That's very exciting. Look, Bobby, thank you so much for your time. Can't wait to arrive in Austin. One of my favourites of the year, without a doubt.
0: Thanks, Tom. We're glad you're coming, and Bye. we look forward to seeing everyone here.
1: Well, Damon, is it one of your favourites of the year? Absolutely. Yeah, I think from the moment we went there,
2: we got the full flavour of what the potential is in the States and the, the, their love of showbiz, and it's Texas. And they, they roll out and turn up and they love it there's a hardcore f1 fan base in the states who are a minority in terms of other sports you know but they know what they're talking about they know it. and now we've sort of sucked in the, as as um as bobby was saying we, we you know they've they've sucked in the people rather than the, the explaining more about the sport and what it's about and who's involved and now people are, are coming in in bigger numbers and they put on as you said they put on a great event they've got amazing amphitheater in the middle of the circuit it's a full on you know hollywood bowl type thing in the middle of the circuit
1: so that's that's a great facility all round yep and, and and the music is a huge part of the weekend not only at the track but also downtown what did he say we've got queen and the killers playing at the track this weekend and i think they had the rolling stones playing at the racetrack just uh six weeks ago or something so they follow us around the rolling stones you notice the stones follow us around yeah. everywhere we go <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah but, but they're never quite at the race are they come on, on mick just one step behind so damon we have well it's the second return of daniel ricardo for Alpha tauri this weekend um I'm excited to see him back. Oh, he's back. He's back. He's, back. he's missed five yeah. races. And and Liam Lawson did a phenomenal job uh, as a stand-in. But but Daniel is back. He actually did a, a demo run in Nashville over the weekend. I'm excited to see him back. I'm really excited to see what he can do. Yeah, well, absolutely. He'd be, he'll be delighted to be back as well. That was all a bit of a shame, wasn't it? What happened at Zandvoort,
2: and, um, you know, really must have hurt his wrist quite badly. He's had an operation on it. So he's back now and keen to pile on some performances between now and the end of the season. Uh, Yeah. I mean, these guys, they, they, they're never really fully away. Are they, they're always looking at data and always look, you know, going on simulators and stuff like that. So he'll be,
1: he should be up to speed. He will be a little bit nervous about, about that hand. He's been on the simulator a lot in Milton Keynes in the UK, and he's confident that he can do a, a race distance, but, Damon, it did make me think about other drivers in history who have raced, you know, with broken bones, whether it's Jackie Stewart at the Nürburgring in 1968. He had a cast on his right hand and he still won the race by four minutes. I think, did you have an issue back in 95 with your leg? I
2: got told off for complaining um, by, <laughs> by Frank. I went off in the wet race in the Nürburgring and I, I went inside with it, whacked my knee and I had a hairline crack in my knee. Which is painful, but it wasn't going to stop me doing anything. But um, so and I mentioned it and it got reported and then I got told off for whinging. <laughs> <laughs> That's, yeah. um, you're supposed to carry on regardless. If you've got a problem in the cockpit, don't forget the forces on your bodies are huge. And the, uh, the room to work inside one of those things is tiny. So any kind of restriction on your wrist movement, it can have an effect on how you feel the car, how you drive the car. And you don't want to be put off and distracted by pressure points in your back or in your leg and stuff like that. So the comfort thing is, is always an issue. You're never really comfortable in a Formula One car. It's pretty unpleasant.
1: I think Daniel will enjoy driving that Alpha Tauri because Yuki Tsunoda, his teammate, has said how much it's improved since Zanvoort, actually. So it'd be interesting to get his thoughts on the car and what it's capable of. And Well, the, the, the thing is, has Yuki
2: improved? I mean, because I think he's been driving some good races as well. So, you know, he's not going to be... And he knows, you know, that Daniel's coming to get him. And, you know, he doesn't want to be um, put on the sidelines. So he's... I think he's upped his game a bit.
3: Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket?
1: Damon, look, before we go, we haven't said much about Ferrari. They had a disappointing run in Qatar. Remember, Carlos Sainz didn't even start that race and he qualified 12th, actually, in Qatar. So that car wasn't performing very well. Charles Leclerc qualifying 5th. But I feel... Ferrari need to bounce back. Well, they've had a good run,
2: and they have had a moment of kind of maybe a false dawn. I don't know, but it, I think the competitiveness—if you take Red Bull out of the picture—the competitiveness between uh, so the next three top teams are is very very tight, and then it's really tight back behind them. So th- there's not a lot of room for error, and they don't—they've got to get down to it quickly as well. You know, there's is the sprint as you said. You know, so it's action stations. Uh, from the very first moment they arrive and the old adage in motor racing is the car is quick out of the crate out of the box then it's going to be quick all season so these guys they need a car where you can turn up anywhere and be quick and on the pace straight away because then you can fettle then you can kind of modify and extract those extra hundreds or tenths of a second which make all the difference
1: quick word on williams and logan Sargent, his second home grand prix of the year guys oh, he's, he's got three home races this year he's a lucky boy old logan Sargent. but he's going to want to bounce back having retired from qatar with that heat stroke he was clearly distraught wasn't he he was on the radio
2: he so wanted to show what he could do and just the heat conspired against him and you know you don't want to have to retire a car so discussions will have been had about that and he does know that I think that James Vowles has said that he's they're, they're waiting till the end of the year to make a decision, a final decision. So he really does have to work between now and the end of the year very hard to show he's got potential to have a career in Formula One in, in the future.
1: Yeah, and, and Williams haven't scored any points for three races now, three Grand Prix. So they could do with Logan getting a point. He's driven at Cota before. He did 23 laps in FP1 last year. So he knows his way round, and this will be an important one for him, as it is, Damon, an important weekend for F1 Academy. The race series has its last round of the season in Austin. It is being televised in up to 180 countries. We're going to get a champion uh, in just over a week's time. Uh, Marta Garcia is leading that battle so far. But it's, it's really exciting that F1 Academy has this platform. To perform at a Grand Prix weekend ahead of 2024, when all of the Formula One teams are going to have their own entries into F1 Academy, so I feel it's exciting times ahead for F1 Academy. I can't wait to see the girls.
2: Yeah, you're, you're right. You're right. To say, you know, a, a F1 Academy is back in in Austin, and 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 it's something that we're all intrigued by because actually, frankly, what the the question is: Can a female racing driver? make it to formula one and that's the ambition is to find out you know and i think churn is the problem we need more women to want to do it and when they want to do it then we'll find the the rare uh, individual that has the talent to be competitive in in the mainstream in formula one because there should be no reason why in our sport you cannot have parity with guys given that you're driving a car and the car does the most uh, of the physical stuff um so yeah it's
1: it's that's the objective is to find the talent. Damon we had Jessica Hawkins on the show last week. She is Aston Martin's driver ambassador but you know former W Series racer and she believes absolutely that girls can compete on an equal footing with men in Formula One. She tested a Formula One car in Hungary two weeks ago. She said she had absolutely no issues driving it and she was quick. She was as quick as Felipe Drogovic, the team's test driver. So I feel there's exciting times ahead. I'm really looking forward to seeing F1 Academy this weekend. Well, Damon, that's pretty much it for this week. Did you notice, by the way, that Nigel Mansell sold, I think, all of his memorabilia? Well, what do you do with it, Tom?
2: You know, what do you do with this stuff? It stays in a box in your loft, doesn't it? You know, you can't put it, you don't want to go invite people around to your house to see all your trophies. <laughs> you know, so you don't have too much on display. So, yeah, I don't know what that was. Uh, I think it's sold a whole lot, sold for two million quid, I think. So that shows you it's, it's, it's all people, fans out there are really keen on collecting this stuff. So they will be out there. Someone will be proudly displaying Nigel Mansell's Imola trophy. The Imola trophy was one of the ones that went for most money. I think it was for Ferrari trophy. trophies, quite a nice looking thing. I, I miss, I, I was tempted to, what was I, I was maybe thinking about maybe I should have a Nigel helmet because I was a Nigel, he inspired me. Nigel inspired me. I think, it, you know, he was, when I was up and coming, it was, he was the guy who showed it could be done and, and he uh, didn't have to be a Brazilian. So um yeah
1: very important to my career nigel so i hope he spends the money wisely all right damon let's do some podium predictions for austin sprint race and grand prix yeah okay so i'm
2: i think lando's got to win didn't he's got it's due isn't he lando sprint sprint lando race it's got to be max you know i just think it's a question of who else is on the podium is Checo? you know checo has got to turn the wick up it's He's Mexican's home Grand Prix coming up. He's got to do something. Find that thing, whatever it is, or not try too hard, or something. I don't know what it is.
1: So are you saying Lando Norris P one in the sprint, followed by who's two and three in the sprint? How about this? Um
2: Norris on pole. Okay, Lewis second, Max third, Oscar fourth. What are the odds
1: on that? Oh, I think you get good odds on that. So that's that's the sprint, okay. But then for the for the Grand Prix itself on Sunday, you still think Max? Max
2: definitely. I think then maybe we got a double merc, Lewis and George.
1: We do see Lewis perform well in Austin. He loves that track. He loves racing in America. So I think you're right about Lewis. And I think with that new floor that James Allison told us about, we could see something special. Okay, I'm going to go for the sprint. I mean we want Lando to get a win don't we he so deserves it but I'm I'm going to say Lewis for the sprint victory really um followed by yep yeah, followed by two mclarens but I'm agreeing with you I think max is going to win the grand prix I think he's on a roll I think the Red Bull will be devastatingly effective through the fast sweeps of Sector 1 then you've got that long back straight where the DRS will just it'll be an absolute bullet down there and then even through the twists and turns of Sector 3 so I think Max is going to win the Grand Prix I think Lewis Hamilton is going to be on the podium in P3 so, so in the Grand Prix itself Max Lando Lewis there we go Max Lando Lewis for me Let's check in with our F1 Fantasy team now, F1 Nation Racing. We made some pretty bold decisions for Qatar and perhaps unsurprisingly, they didn't pay off. We replaced Max Verstappen with Lewis Hamilton and brought in Carlos Sainz for Fernando Alonso. Hamilton obviously DNF'd and Sainz didn't even start the race, let alone finish. Our papaya trio of McLaren, Lando Norris and Oscar Piastri saved us from too much embarrassment though, scoring 207 of our 281 points total. It means that for the first time in a few weeks, we've moved down the F1 Nation World Championship to 812th but the big news is we do have a new leader with TJGP 67 overtaking MLN Racing into P1 by just four points. MLN remains second while the Incident 2.0 is still in P3. And seeing as Damon and I are pretty confident in our predictions that Hamilton will enjoy a double podium this weekend, we're going to stick with the seven time world champion. The only change we're going to make is to replace Alex Albon with the returning Daniel Ricciardo. So that's a lineup of Hamilton Sainz, Norris Piastri, and Ricciardo, with Mercedes and McLaren as our constructors. Remember, F1 Fantasy is free and you can join our league at any time. Go to fantasy.formula1.com and search for the F1 Nation World Championship to compete against us and other listeners. And once again, with Austin being an F1 sprint, you have until the start of qualifying on Friday to make any changes to your team. Well, Damon, look forward to seeing you at the weekend. Uh, Thanks for your time. Thank you to James as well and to Bobby Epstein as well. Thank you at home for listening. And don't forget to catch this week's F1 Beyond the Grid with Andreas Stella. We talked about that earlier. It's available on Wednesday wherever you listen to your podcasts. And of course, we will be back next Monday with our review of the US Grand Prix. F1 Nation is produced by Formula One and Audio Boom Studios.